Thanks for joining us. We're in a series in the Gospel of John. The title this morning is, and I, and I was serious when I put this title down, a difficult text on the nature of saving trust. A difficult text on the nature of saving trust. We're in John chapter 2. This is part 11 in this study. You can do the math how long this is going to take. John 2, 22 to 25. I hope you have a Bible in some way or another. Always have a Bible in church. You should no more go to church without your Bible than you'd go without your... That's right. John 2, 22. Now, we read this verse at the conclusion of last Sunday morning. I'm starting with it and tacking on the rest of the text. 2.22. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. That's about tear this temple down. Remember, in three days, I'll rise it up. He was talking about his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed. Okay, so here, there's that word. They believed. They believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many, here's the same word, right? There's one, two. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. And then these troubling words, Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. It's a really demanding little paragraph. I say demanding because I think it it demands more thought maybe than other whole chapters. And that, the reason I've, limited our study to these four verses. Verse 22 was already considered last week. There are two beliefs in this text. Verse 22, I highlighted, it describes the belief of the disciples in the text of Scripture and the words of Jesus. After Jesus was risen from the dead, they remembered, oh, that's what that, destroy this temple in three days I'll rise. And then, oh, that's what it is. And they believe. But there's another variant of belief that's displayed by the crowd. And the remaining three verses have a certain bite to them that's just hard to dance around and explain away. It's the placing of these remarks that jars us maybe just a little bit. John's about to launch into this wonderful chapter, John 3, New Birth, Living Faith, John 3.16, The Promise and the Account of Nicodemus, and evangelicals just eat up chapter 3. It's all about getting saved. And it is. But right before John gets to this wonderful third chapter with the glories of saving faith, he cautions us that, I don't know how else to say it, that Jesus doesn't believe in everyone who says they believe in him. It's right there. 
It's one thing to talk about accepting Jesus. It's not a bad term. It's not a biblical term, but it's not a bad term. We know what we mean when we talk about it. It's one thing to talk about accepting Jesus. It's another thing to take up seriously the idea of Jesus accepting me. When is a person a Christian? It seems to me that's a fairly basic question for a church like ours to at least ask and think about, right? Who gets to decide if Don Horbin's a Christian or not? Is it just up to me? Can I just self-proclaim myself a Christian under any terms at all? And if I say I am, I am, is that, is that how it works? Is a person a Christian just because he or she says they believe in Jesus, or, or is there more to it? I hear it all the time. I hear it all the time. They mean well. I get their heart. I hear from parents whose kids aren't following the Lord, and they'll constantly say the same thing. Pastor Don, their Christianity isn't going to look like yours and mine. Their Christianity is going to have a it's going to be different from yours. I mean, I kind of know what they're saying. Styles change and whatnot. But then I think to myself, really? So we can, we can choose, we can choose our Christianity. How, how does this work when Jesus comes again? My Bible says all sorts of people are going to come up to him and say, we evangelized, we, we did miracles and works, we followed you. Jesus, here we are. And Jesus apparently is going to say, I, I didn't accept your version of Christianity. I, I don't know you. Remember those words? Y'all remember them, right? I'm not making them up. Jesus, and we, Jesus, we did all this. It's there in the text. We did all this in your name. Sorry. I don't accept it. Wow. So this is the enormous issue that's kind of served up in this little text because the text is pretty blunt. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in, many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. And then, 24, Jesus, on his part, I'm quoting, did not entrust himself to them. He knew all people. They accepted him. In some way, he didn't accept them. We have a simple goal this morning. Our task should be to drill down into this text. You don't need my thoughts, my ideas. It's the text. So we need to do, drill down into answering these two questions. What's gone wrong here? Question one. Why isn't Jesus committing himself to these believers? That's what they're called, believers. Okay, you with me? Point number one. It's tempting to reject the faith, belief, I'm using those synonymously, 
tempting to reject the faith of these nameless believers because John says they only believe because they saw the evidence of his signs. 23, now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. when they saw the signs that he was doing. Here's how I've read those verses for years. Maybe you've done the same thing. Jesus rejected these people because, well, they saw the signs. They liked the signs. And that's the only reason they believed they saw the signs. And that's how I interpreted those verses. I don't think it's the right way to read them. A lot of people jump on this as the root of the problem. And Jesus... Jesus certainly did come down pretty hard on the crowds and many of the religious leaders when, when they uh, pretended they would believe if only Jesus would give them enough evidence. You know this account, 6, 29 and 30. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. So they said, this is the religious leaders, they said, then then. What sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? What, those have to be some of the dumbest words ever recorded. What work do you do? Are you kidding? These are the same people just recently were in that crowd of 5,000 people who were fed with five loaves and two fish. Jesus, I don't know, we'd love to follow you. We don't see anything special in you. Could you just do something really big? And we know that it didn't matter what Jesus did, they weren't going to believe. So Jesus, he did come down pretty hard on those who never would get enough proof to repent and yield their heart to Jesus Christ. He, He hated it when people made a game of faith, when they thought they could make the rules and define the terms, he hated being played with. He was loving, but he hated being played with. He knew when people were just being cagey with him, when they pretended to lack evidence. Let me just say it, then and now, when we know better in our hearts, Jesus wants nothing to do with cagey people. Cagey people don't repent. Cagey people are just cagey with Jesus. But there's really no hint of that in John's words in chapter 2. In fact, here's the thing. John tells us he recorded all these signs and did so precisely so people would believe Jesus was the Christ. He says that much in John 20. You know these words, probably. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. Why did Jesus do these signs? Look, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. John's as clear as a bell. I'm recording all these signs of Jesus so people will believe. So no, I don't think the issue 
I don't think Jesus' issue with these believers was their conviction being founded on the signs he did. Because John says that was the reason for the signs, that people would believe. I think there's something else going on in this tough little text. Point number two. There is a difference between being impressed with Jesus and placing ongoing trust. Ongoing is the word I would hit. Being impressed with Jesus and placing ongoing trust in Jesus. 23 and 24. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. So on the surface, these believers seem to fulfill the condition of John's marvelous promise in the prologue, John 1.12, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. There's the condition, believed in his name. Now, John uses the very same words to describe these people in 2.23. When he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name. Same, same exact words. Believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. So I think we have to dig a bit deeper. Something is clearly wrong because John goes on to record 24. Jesus, on his part, didn't entrust himself to them. And I'll tell you what I think the difference is. Look again, really, really slowly at 2.23. When he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed, notice the E-D, in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. The way you receive John's thought depends on which words you emphasize in your head as you read them. Because usually, usually, when John talks about belief in his gospel, he uses the present tense, the ongoing present tense. He rarely, if ever, uses the past tense. For example, stay with me here just for a sec. Take some of the really familiar uses of the word belief or believes in this famous third chapter. Maybe the best known verse in all the Bible. Everybody knows the verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Notice, not believed, believes. Present tense, ongoing, continuously, persistently. You see the same thing over and over again. John 3.15, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has life. Whoever does not obey the Son, so now we know what belief is, right? When belief is contrasted, does not obey, we know that belief is action, it's will, it's following, it's obeying. Present tense. Very different from what Jesus saw in these believers in Jerusalem. Many believed 
in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Don't miss this. John isn't merely telling us that the signs of Jesus were the source of their belief. That in itself would have fitted in perfectly with John's purpose in his gospel, like he talks about in 20, 30, and 31. These things are written that you might believe. But in 2.23, when John says many believed in his name when they saw the signs, what he's doing is he means for us to set the limitation of their belief. When did they believe? Well, they believed when or while Jesus was doing his miracles. They believed as long as he was doing the things they liked. Their faith lasted as long as the wonders lasted. They were impressed with the miracles more than they were committed to the person. So there are believers, and there are believers in John's gospel. The text says Jesus, he he knew what was inside. Knew what was inside. Still does. Jesus, knowing the inside heart of belief, not just its outward profession or excitement, encountered the differences all the time. And so so John makes it clear that there was a kind of professed belief that would always be one-sided because Jesus never responded to it. People couldn't self-confess Genuine faith. They can't make it up. Belief to be genuine moves the believer persistently after Jesus all the time. Genuine belief is always an ongoing presenting of a permanently yielded will. Now, it seems to me Jesus never tired of emphasizing what we're talking about this morning. 8, 28 to 32. He said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had, who had believed in him, there it is again, if you, what's Jesus emphasizing? If you abide, continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth. The truth will set you free. The point, of course, is only ongoing belief brings freedom from self and freedom from sin. That's the point. The bondage of our broken lives cannot be broken by moments of inspiration. The bondage of our broken lives cannot be broken by moments of inspiration. Christ commits his freeing, redemptive, 
powerful grace. To be sure, it's a gift, but it's not automatic. It's received by nothing but belief, but the belief has to be firm. It has to be abiding. This isn't works salvation. Ongoing belief is the basket into which our Lord puts his ongoing grace. Ongoing belief is the basket into which our Lord puts his ongoing grace. That's how it works. When beliefs is limited to times of wonder, our lives will bear no spiritual fruit or permanence in Jesus Jesus made this so clear. Here's how he did it again. We're almost done. In the parable that's probably the most famous string of parables in in Matthew 13. He's explaining now the meaning of the parable to his disciples. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears, he hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself. He endures for a while. When tribulation, persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one, here's the word, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the deceitfulness is what I was reading about. The deceitfulness of riches is, this this will fix whatever's wrong with your life. The deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And it proves in time, see, it's endurance. It proves unfruitful. So in these two soils, we're beholding the sterility of a falsely assumed belief in Christ. Here's what happens to sign belief when it's not linked to Christ's word, Christ's person. Persecution will come. Temptation will come. The belief of preference will wither and die. Point number three. Now we really are almost done. I was just kidding last time. Point number three, those times when faith has to hang around waiting. I chose those words. I chose those words because I've done that. Waited on God for something and had to hang around and wait. Anybody else ever have that happen? Pizza, pizza. I know the order might seem strange, but let me close by going right back to a point I made in my introductory remarks. John 2, 22 to 25. When therefore, here's the time word, okay? When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. And when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. He needed no one to witness about man for he knew what was in man. Notice those words in verse 22. They're the words... John places immediately preceding the sign faith in 23. And I think they're there, the disciples. When Jesus rose from the dead, they remembered and they believed. Okay, that's 22. 23, all these people saw the miracles. 
they believed, but Jesus didn't commit himself to them. So I think what we're supposed to do is, 22 is supposed to be a contrast with what follows. It's supposed to show something different. 22 points to real disciples and real faith, and here it is. It frequently has to wait through a long interval between hearing something promised and receiving its fulfillment. Real faith anchors to the word. They remembered the word that Jesus had spoken. The scriptures, that's all their Old Testament scriptures, the word. That's what faith does. It anchors to the word. It takes the words of Jesus carefully, seriously, and it clings to them. Faith when you can't see a thing. Faith when you can't see a thing. What does real belief in Christ do in these silent, foggy times? It waits. Or, if you want the better biblical word, it abides. It abides. It persists following Jesus when it doesn't understand circumstances. It com- it's committed to following Jesus when it doesn't seem to hear the voice of Jesus. It takes its vow to Christ seriously, like a husband who's far away on a business trip but never forgets that he's married to his wife. It takes its commitment seriously. And it does this knowing full well that Jesus takes his commitment to his faithful followers in a way where he said, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. Okay, that's, that's Christ's commitment to us. And our commitment to him in abiding faith is, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Faith, when you can't see a thing. And everyone said, 